What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. As most of you know, my day job is running my functional medicine telehealth center for the past 13 plus years. We main focus and passion is figuring out complex health puzzles for people that are struggling with different health issues. And I have an amazing team around me, a specific team that allows me to focus solely on my patients are what we call our ESL team. It is an acronym that, that we use for e-commerce, shipping, and logistics. I just want to give a shout out to my amazing ESL team. Something that my e-commerce and shipping team loves is Stamps.com. Stamps.com gets it because for the last 25 years, they've been helping businesses like mine save time and money. Stamps.com is a post office in your office. With Stamps.com, all you need is a computer and printer. They even send you a free scale, so you'll have everything you need to get started. If you need a package pickup, you can easily schedule it through your Stamps.com dashboard. And if you sell products online like we do, Stamps.com seamlessly connects you with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Running a business isn't cheap, especially when it comes to fulfilling orders for your customers. Luckily, Stamps.com has huge carrier discounts, up to 84% off USPS and UPS rates. Plus, Stamps.com automatically tells you your cheapest and fastest shipping options. Set your business up for success when you get started with Stamps.com today. Sign up with promo code WILLCOLE for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code Will Cole. Hi, it's Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up and welcome to The Art of Being Well. I am a leading functional medicine doctor. I get to consult people around the world via webcam and I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, The Inflammation Spectrum, Ketotarian, and my brand new book, Gut Feelings. If you wanna learn more about my clinical work, the telehealth center, becoming a patient, we actually have brand new telehealth patient options now open. And there's lots of free resources there for you as well. You can check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E 
com. And listeners of The Art of Being Well, we're giving away free signed books every single month, no matter when you listen to this episode. All you have to do is head on over to Apple Podcast and rate and review The Art of Being Well there. Tell us what you love about the show. And you can do it two different ways. You can leave your Instagram handle in the Apple Podcast review itself, or you can take a screenshot of your Apple Podcast review and message me on Instagram at Dr. Will Cole. And every month, my team and I will be going through the messages on Instagram, as well as the Apple Podcast reviews, and randomly picking winners every single month. All right, let's get to today's guest. She is a longtime friend of mine, colleague of mine, and return guest of The Art of Being Well. Her name is Dr. Jolene Brighton. She is a pioneer in women's medicine and an award-winning board-certified naturopathic endocrinologist and certified sex counselor. She is the author of Beyond the Pill, Healing Your Body Naturally After Childbirth, and her brand new book, Is This Normal? Judgment-Free Straight Talk About Your Body. A fierce patient advocate and completely dedicated to uncovering the root cause of hormonal imbalances, Dr. Brighton empowers women worldwide to take control of their health and their hormones. Her website, drbrighton.com, and large social media platform allows Dr. Brighton to teach women from across the globe how to heal their hormones and have a better conversation with their doctor. She is an international speaker, clinical educator, medical advisor in the femtech industry, and considered a leading authority on women's health. Dr. Brighton is also a faculty member for the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine and part of the Mind Body Green Collective, along with yours truly. Her work has been featured in the New York Post, Forbes, Cosmopolitan, HuffPost, Bustle, The Guardian, and ABC News. Let's get right to it. This is Dr. Jolene Brighton's Art of Being Well. Dr. Jolene Brighton, my friend, thanks for coming back on the pod. Return guest. I'm excited. <laughs> Return guest. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for having me again. My goodness. Anytime. Standing invitation. So the last time we talked, a lot has changed in the world and in your life. Let's catch up in front of millions of people. How have you been? Yeah. Well, you know, compared to the last time we talked, which everyone can revisit that episode much better because I'm not struggling with post-COVID syndrome and dealing with the whole long haulers that I endured for a very long time. Yeah. People definitely go back and listen to that episode to learn all about her journey with long COVID, long haulers. Many people don't know. And maybe these unsuspected symptoms that are lingering could be due to something like that. For many people, I just want to raise awareness around it because it did trigger symptoms in many people and they and not enough known about it at this point. So yeah, that and everyone thinks that COVID is like just a lung issue. Like you just have a cough. So certainly, you know, if you are struggling with brain fog, like the things that you talk about or having any kind of symptoms since having COVID that you think is not normal, it's probably not normal. Yeah. You know your body. Amen to that. So, all right, let's jump right into some things that I want to pick your brain about. Let's start with hormones. There's so much medical gaslighting, sometimes unintentional, right? Because mm -hmm. there's not enough known about it within the kind of conventional model of care, the nuance and the intricacies of hormones. I'm, I'm making a big broad, I know there's exceptions to that and there's brilliant people within the mainstream model that know hormones, but it's pretty rare, sadly. And there's a big gap between people getting access to actual effective tools. So what are 
the let's bust some myths here. Like what are the common yeah. hormonal issues that people kind of gaslight themselves or are gaslit there, but they're anything but normal. They're just common. Yeah. Well, that's a great place to start. And, you know, just to speak to the point of, you know, why, why does this gaslighting happen? Or like, why, why do women feel like they're having this experience? And it's so often. So for everybody listening, putting yourself in the position, your doctor says to you, do you want to have a baby? If your answer is no, your options are limited. They say, okay, great. Here's the pill. We'll deal with like, you know, a, a, like having babies in the future. Should you choose to go that route? And if you do say, yes, I do want to have a baby, then it's like all hands on deck to test, to understand what's going on and to make sure that you get the help that you need. And from my perspective, we shouldn't be reduced to our reproductive intentions, painful periods. So telling your doctor you have a painful period that you might be met with, have some ibuprofen, painful periods, everybody has them. Periods are meant to be painful. Saying you have PMS or PMDD symptoms. So that might look like I have mood swings. I feel incredibly exhausted. I'm feeling bloated, achy, having insomnia. These things often get brushed off as normal. Or the one I really love is you're just getting older. When you start having symptoms that we classify as perimenopause, so symptoms like brain fog, maybe having anxiety, insomnia, hot flashes, these are things society is telling us that's just part of the transition. That's normal. When in reality, what these really are, are early signs of the brain struggling. Like these are hormones and brain are not optimized. So what's coming in the future? We don't discuss that. So these are some of the things that I would say are very, very common, especially in our modern day society, but we shouldn't be just brushed off and expected that, you know, to act like all of it's normal. Yeah. And that's the title of your book, right? Is this normal? I mean, because so yes. many people like ubiquity does not necessarily equate with normalcy. And I just love, I think that's a perfect title for what you're talking about and what you've have been talking about for a long time. But now people have a resource in this book. So let's, I know that this is a big question with a lot of variables, but what are the most common causes? Maybe common. And then I'd like to maybe what are some unsuspected causes of hormone issues that many people don't know about? One of the most common, absolutely, and not talked about enough, in my opinion, is environmental toxins. So endocrine disruptors, namely, I think that we're seeing enough awareness starting where people are starting to question their personal care products, their plastic water bottles and food storage containers, where I don't see enough conversations happening and where we do need even more research is around things like flame retardants and common things that are happening in our house. So as you know, flame retardants, they have a huge negative impact on our hormones. We've known about thyroid function being impacted for years. Before we even had human studies, they the, the research understood that in our pets, in our home, these are our canaries in our, so to speak, coal mine, right? Our cats developing hyperthyroidism, so elevated thyroid hormone. Our dogs developing hypothyroidism, all with an autoimmune origin, and they pointed it back to the flame retardants we were putting in their beds. But there was also flame retardants in our couch, in our beds, and these things are settling in the dust on the floor. And we've had research coming out showing us that they very well may be impacting our egg quality by increasing oxidative stress in our ovaries, 
having a negative impact on the mitochondria. So the ovaries are one of the most concentrated tissue of mitochondria. And in all of that, impacting our ability to actually make our sex hormones. And this is an area where we need much more exploration, but it's also an area where people have a lot of control in terms of what they have in their house. Just opening your windows and sweeping, for example, can help mitigate some of those effects. And so you know, whenever I come from the environmental toxins perspective, I know it gets big and scary. So I always want to encourage people to look at what you can change and then to think about how you can support your body, which has an entire detoxification system and it does it very well. If you limit exposure and you support your body, you can help mitigate some of that. But these, these chemicals, I mean, there has been now research coming out showing us that in men, for example, they have about 50% of the sperm so sperm count has dropped 50% of the sperm that their grandfathers did. So men are like, when we look at sperm, much easier to quantify that than looking at someone's ovaries and their eggs and trying to understand that. So I want people to understand, regardless of reproduction, if you're like, I don't want to have a baby, this is a hormonal impact. This is a cascade of damage happening at the cellular level. So that I think is one of the big ones that we have to talk about. One of the ones I think is a little bit unsuspecting is sleep. I have a whole diagram in my book because after lecturing so many times at conferences and other <laughs> clinicians would come up to me and be like, yeah, but when I talk to my patients about the sleep, they're just like, yeah, well, I like try to sleep and like whatever, you know, they kind of brush it off when they're trying to cancel their patients. So I made this diagram. It actually, my lecture slides were really ugly compared to what I have in the book. I actually commissioned an artist. It was like, can you take this thing that I built and like from the research and make it so it's palatable? And what I'm showing in there is the research on chronic sleep disruption. Who are we getting that from? Night shift workers. Praise them, need them, love them. Unfortunately, this is a state that leads to not just a decrease in melatonin, therefore antioxidant production, but we also see increase in insulin resistance, oxidative stress, risk of diabetes going up, and ovulatory cycles. That means we're not ovulating, so leading to infertility, which leads to an inability to produce the hormones that you need, and thyroid dysfunction. I mean, if you want to get inflamed, start messing with your sleep. And to anybody right now, I have patients, I'm sure you do too, where they're like, yeah, I know that that's nothing new. And I always say, okay, but how well are we doing it? Anytime we are met with information that we have heard before, we need to ask the question, how well am I doing this? And <laughs> how important must this be if everybody's talking about it? And it's been said before, but we're still saying it again. It's <laughs> so true. So true. And I think part of it is for many people, they know it intellectually, but don't know the gravity of it. Like they know it's not good, but they think it's not going to be extremely influential on their biochemistry. But the fact is, as the data you just pointed to, and I could say clinically, I've seen it play out in people's labs all the time. If they're mm -hmm. not prioritizing, not just their quantity of sleep, but their quality of sleep and really optimizing yeah. REM, REM and deep sleep for those that need to that have poor REM and deep sleep scores. It's profoundly mm -hmm. influential on their biochemistry, their inflammation levels, and their endocrine system, their hormone system. Yeah. To live your healthiest, longest life possible, you need to understand what's going on inside. Inside Tracker takes a personalized approach to health and longevity from the most trusted and relevant source, your body. Inside Tracker was created by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard. Tufts and MIT. 
Inside Tracker provides personalized health analysis and clear recommendations, plus an action plan on how to live healthier, longer. Inside Tracker can also calculate your biological age. You have to check this out. You can actually see, based on data, the rate at which you're aging compared to your chronological age, as well as ways to lower your biological age. The thing I love most about Inside Tracker is that they give you recommendations on things you can actually control to optimize your health, like which foods are right for your body based on your labs, what supplements are needed based on your lab data, what workouts are best for your body, and other bio-individual lifestyle choices. And did you know you can actually use your HSA, HRA, FSA to buy an Inside Tracker plan, which means you can purchase Inside Tracker using your tax-free dollars. It gets better. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store when you sign up. So if you're ready to get a crystal clear picture of what's going on inside your body, you have to check this out, along with the science back recommendations to optimize what's not working based on your labs, you have to visit insidetracker.com slash art of being well. That's insidetracker.com slash art of being well. Most of you know my day job is running the Functional Medicine Telehealth Center. So obviously, I'm a fan of technology and providing people accessible telehealth. And one tool that we use for our patients that need therapy, which honestly, most of us do in different ways at different times of our life, certainly. But one tool that we use within our telehealth center is integrating therapy that is given to people via telehealth. And something that many of our telehealth patients have really loved is something called Talkspace. Talkspace has made a huge difference in their life. Talkspace makes it very easy to find a therapist you'll really love and get a lot out of. Do you think seeing a therapist or psychiatrist would be helpful, but you don't have the time to actually find one and meet with them or afford them? Then you definitely need to try and check out Talkspace. By doing everything online, Talkspace has made getting the help you want easy, accessible, and affordable. Sometimes people wait until something bad happens to talk to a therapist, but why wait? You can get a therapist through Talkspace. Getting started is the important part. Talkspace makes it easy and affordable. There's no need to commute to appointments, miss time at work, or line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made very easy. Talkspace can help with any specific challenges you might be facing. It's the number one online therapy platform with licensed therapists in over 40 specialties. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $100 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com ABW. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com ABW to get $100 off your first month and show your support for the art of being well. That's Talkspace.com ABW. I'd love to unpack some of the, the toxin conversation real fast is the people that say, well, it's, we're talking about low amounts, right? And Mm. we, we have, and why would we ever have to quote unquote support detox pathways? Cause you see, you see it on social media. We have a liver. That's all I need. And (laughs) can you (laughs) clarify this for the people? What's going on? 
Oh my God, that argument. Whenever people are like, you have a liver, like there's nothing you need to do. Like you, like your kidneys, your kidneys need water. Am I wrong about this? Like you do need (laughs) to drink water. Your liver doesn't just do its job like out of nowhere. It requires input. And that input is things like B vitamins, magnesium, your sulfur-based compounds, uh, DIM that comes from cruciferous vegetables, N-acetylcysteine. Like there are all of these nutrients that are involved so that you package things up efficiently and effectively in your liver. So I actually have a diagram. My book is full of so many diagrams. I don't know about you, but I'm a visual learner. And man, if the publishers didn't let me just keep going with pictures, I was here for it. So I have a whole phase um, one, phase two liver detox that I show the nutrients that are going in, what you need to support that. What is really important for people to understand is we have to get to phase two and get it out of the body. So supporting phase one, pretty easy. And and like, here's the spoiler, like you, you need to eat in a way that like supports all of this. So if your doctor's telling you, you have a liver, don't worry about it. Just eat a standard diet. Friend, the standard diet in the United States is the floor. Like that is the floor. That's the lowest the bar can go that all the research looks at and is like, that's about as nutrient devoid as you can get. So nutrient dense diet is definitely part of this. We need phase one to get into phase two because phase one can make a lot of toxic intermediates that actually make us feel worse. So we've got to get it neutralized, packaged up, ready for it to ship out. And the main ways it's going to go out is via the bowels and the kidneys. So we need to drink water. That's obvious. We need to make sure that we're having minerals coming in or electrolytes because that helps with the balance of water in our body. And then we have to be taking in things like fiber. I mean, you have a whole book about gut, right? Coming out, like we have to be putting in fiber. It's just one of the many things so that we can help with the bile that's grabbing onto things. That fiber can help a bile get it out into the feces or the poop and you can excrete that. And so we have to support these pathways. You know, I think about these things that like you hear people say, so I wanted to find, so this is like how old I am. It's kind of funny and very telling, but like I used to do paper charting. I'm sure you did as well. Oh yeah. And paper treatment plans, like before there was EHR, I'm like, was there ever this world? It was. (laughs) And I had things on my treatment plan, like ending in your showers in cold water, apple cider vinegar before meals, like these kinds of things I was called a quack for that doctors were like, she's crazy. There's no reason to like end your showers in cold water. Who isn't getting an ice bath going in their house these days, right? And doing cold plunges. Or now the research is coming out about apple cider vinegar. Um, Glucose goddess is popularizing that. I'm like cheering her on. I'm like, get it out there. Get it to the masses because There are people that you know, the same people who are criticizing like any supportive detoxification are the same people who were saying, oh, don't do apple cider vinegar. It's just going to erode your teeth. Spoiler, my first medical license was in dentistry. I was a registered dental assistant. And I'm like, what do you think people are doing? Swishing with apple cider vinegar? Like your argument makes zero sense here. But these are the same people that are criticizing that. Do you see them now coming out in the face of new research being like, you know what? I was wrong. I'm going to retract that. Like this, this could, no, they don't. They just pretend it never happened. And like, they're now the experts of this. It it cracks me up. I'm like, my brain is really good at pattern recognition and I've been following (laughs) this. And so it's going to be the same thing. It's going to be the same thing 
detox. I mean, th- these were these though. So these same people, like, you know, I don't have one person in mind. There's like a cohort of these people who dive together in medicine who are like, you know, it's a small amount. Stop fear-mongering people about their products. Like these are people who've been indoctrinated by the corporations in the United States and they uphold the corporation's best interest. Because in the United States, the take is proof beyond a shadow of a doubt, it is going to kill this person that is causing cancer, that it is problematic before we do anything about it. Whereas you look at somewhere like the EU, who has a much more vested interest in the health care and health outcomes of their citizens. And their take is, you better prove that this is safe before we allow it to come in because we don't want to mess with our people's hormones, their health, but also they recognize that any of these endocrine disruptors that are impacting your health and your reproductive health are going to impact the future of our species, the future citizens. And so when people say like, it's such a small dose, that's where I sit back and I ask, okay, but how many times is the same thing applied to their skin as just one example? And when we look at the entire environment, like this person goes out, they sit in traffic, they commute for two hours. This individual doesn't have access to this like quality drinking water, right? There's still people out there saying like, don't worry about your drinking water. I feel like just now people are starting to catch on that we don't have the best drinking water in this country. So there's not, maybe they don't have access to filtered water. Maybe there's something about their job where they have to drink out of plastic water bottles. Maybe they work at Costco and they have to handle all of those receipts all day getting exposed to BPA. So I think it is a very short-sighted, problematic, and it is causing harm when you say it's just a small amount and one product. Because when we stand back and we look at the multiple exposures that happen throughout the day, there is no study measuring that. There are no studies saying what happens when the average woman is wearing 13 products and she's brand loyal and she's doing it every day. For the last 30 years of her life, what happens? I can't tell you based on research because nobody's doing it. And then we've got these experts in medicine saying, well, it's not even worth doing because like, it's not a problem. Yeah. That's my, oh my rant. I, no, <laughs> hey, look, beautiful. You just, the, the thousands of people that are hearing this episode are just collectively like it's church right now. There's preaching weather up in here because it's actually true. And I, and I also think as you're talking about this, I think, okay, the average person, like the naysayer to supporting detox pathways and like the fact that food provides the cofactors and raw materials that support these pathways and nutrient density and bioavailability is, shouldn't be radical. It should not be fringe. It's just called what our humans would have done for eons. And it's only for the past hundred years or so that we've lost that ancestral awareness of just basic Mm -hmm. nutrition. It is interesting to me that the people that would never flinch with saying, yes, environmental toxins are bad for the planet and it's not good from an environmental standpoint, there seems to be a gap between, okay, but somehow it's benign for us. Why yeah. do you think that is? You know, it's very much a big disconnect. I, I, it's, I'm like, do I have a good answer? I feel like I need a psychology degree to unpack. <laughs> like, what is the cognitive dissonance here? Like, where is the where is the separation? And that you can't understand that you are an animal and a complex biological system that is very much influenced by your environment, especially when you talk about having ovaries, you have to be very in tune with your environment because those ovaries are made to ovulate and to, you know, meet up with sperm and to become pregnant and to do all of that. It needs to know, is this a safe time? Is this a safe time in our environment? So 
it's very confusing to me how people can make the environmental stance, but not realize that it is the individual's action that has an impact on the environment and that we can do so much within our home. So there is there is that piece. You also won't see these people really criticizing the corporations who are marketing in a very divisive way and who you see these people that are like, let me let me go after Dr. Will Cole on Instagram and like try to tear him apart. And I'm like, could you rally that same energy for companies who are spilling like billions of like, you know, pollution, like name whatever it is, because there's so many companies doing this into our environment, or maybe the same energy into, you know, the fact that a couple of maternal mortality rates have never come down for Black women. They're continuing to increase. And for Hispanic women, they rose significantly during the pandemic. But we don't see that same kind of energy into these things. We see, like, it just feels like, oh, let me go after the easy thing and let's mm -hmm. get angry and let's vilify and dehumanize one person and let's go after that. And it's like, man, if you could just rally that same energy to make some significant change, like what a world would this be? <laughs> yeah, 100%. I mean, look, I'm just getting, we're just getting people healthy over here. You're going after the wrong people. <laughs> there are problems in our culture that actually is feeding health problems. It's not us. We're doing the opposite. So uh, people want to know, okay, PMS, what is normal during PMS that, because again, mm. this is so much, all they know is themselves and maybe they talk to their friends, but yeah. there it's maybe horribly painful or very heavy, but it's so relative to them. There's so much bioindividuality. Yeah. What is normal PMS symptoms? What is normal period symptoms and what's not normal? Yes. So there is an entire chapter in my book on just the menstrual cycle, and that's going to cover PMS. And then just a chapter on the period, because there's so much nuance to this conversation and going over like the, all of the myths that we've been taught, like the myth that we all have 28 days cycles, not true. And so then people are like, something's wrong with me. I have a 26 day cycle or something's wrong with me. I have a 32 day cycle. You are normal. It is normal to have that type of cycle. When it comes to PMS, this is one where, I mean, for the majority of my life, periods in PMS that have been weaponized against us and made to make us feel like the lesser. And, you know, there's jokes that are like, oh, a woman could never be president. She would get her period and blow up the whole planet. And I'm like, sir, you don't even know the female body because actually mm -hmm. PMS happens before the period. When the period comes, her hormones are more on par where yours are at. So what are you <laughs> saying here? Like, what are you saying? So yeah. with PMS, being a little bit tired, sure. Feeling like, okay, I have to really adhere to my self-care practices around sleep, right? So if you are in the uh, ovulatory phase or late follicular phase, you might be like, I can get by on six hours. I'm scrolling on my phone. I fall right asleep. It's not a problem. Before your period, that may be more difficult, but it shouldn't be something where you're tossing and turning. You can't get to sleep. But if you're like, yeah, I do have to sleep in a dark room. I do have to make sure that my room is cool. And you have to do those things. That's still normal. If you feel like mm, I'm a little withdrawn, like I want to be with myself or in my feelings. I don't want to be out, you know, doing all of these things. Like I, I you know, want to make sure that like I am like tending to my home in some way. Like these are all normal experiences. What's not normal is to feel incredibly socially withdrawn feel like you cannot get through a day 
feel like you're just at the mercy of your emotions. You're crying really easily or you're feeling really anxious. These things are not normal. The the extremes that I'm talking about here are what most people describe as normal PMS, as that's the experience of PMS. Mm-hmm. PMS is a diagnosable medical condition. It has an ICD-10. Like we can diagnose this because it's not normal. Yet it's often passed off as normal, even if your doctor will diagnose it. They tell you that this is a normal experience because who goes to the doctor? People who have problems, people who are like, I'm I'm having issues. I need to make sure that I get help. And so the doctor's experience is I see this day in and day out. Common, especially common when your practice is to address these problems, but it doesn't make it normal. Got it. It's so true. If you know anything about me, you probably already know I'm a big fan of adaptogens, specifically a big, big fan of ashwagandha. The popular adaptogen has been used for thousands of years to help with a variety of health concerns such as stress and anxiousness, and it contains several beneficial constituents, including these compounds called withanalanides and withaferins, which have been extensively studied for their adaptogenic and rejuvenating properties. Not all ashwagandha supplements are created equally. That's why I always make sure mine comes from a trusted source. A brand that I love is Banyan Botanicals. I'm really impressed by the quality of this company. They're a certified B Corporation that carries Ayurvedic herbs and wellness products that are organic, fairly traded, and sustainably sourced. As you may know, Ayurveda originated thousands of years ago in ancient India, but it remains extremely relevant today. In fact, it's thanks to Ayurveda that ashwagandha has become so famous. Banyan Botanicals ashwagandha is unique not only because it's pure and organic, but it's also certified fair for life, meaning the entire supply chain must meet rigorous fair trade standards to support the well-being of farmers, producers, and everyone along the way. Whether you prefer taking ashwagandha on its own or in an herbal formula like Stress Ease or Adrenal Nourish, check out Banya Botanicals for plenty of options for you. I especially recommend their rich and creamy ashwagandha latte mix. So good. It's a totally delicious new way to get your herbs. Banyan is on Amazon and Thrive Market, but you can save 20% on my favorite Banyan Botanicals products, including ashwagandha, when you shop at banyanbotanicals.com slash willcole. Just go to www.banyanbotanicals.com slash willcole, banyanbotanicals.com slash willcole, and enter the promo code willcole at checkout for that special discount. Have you heard about Timeline Nutrition, the product called MitoPure? I actually had their chief medical director on The Art of Being Well. It was a fascinating conversation. Go back and listen to the episode if you haven't already. Maintaining muscle health is critically important for our longevity and enduring good health. Postbiotics, the active nutrients your body makes during digestion, are an emerging driver of good health. Something called urolithin A is one of the first postbiotics shown to have major health benefits and has become available to all of us. Urolithin A upgrades your body's cellular power grid, giving your body the energy it needs to optimize. 
Clinical studies have shown that just 500 milligrams of urolithin A alone significantly increases muscle strength and endurance with no other change in your lifestyle. My go-to for urolithin A is Mitopure. I've used it for months now. I am loving the results. Timeline Nutrition is a Swiss-based life science company and is a global leader in urolithin A research and their products are NSF certified for sport. Timeline has Mitopure in three different products designed to fit your needs. They have this delicious berry powder. It's great to mix into your breakfast yogurt or smoothie. They also have their protein powder. It adds the muscle health benefits of whey protein to the bioenergetics of Mitopure and the soft gels. I typically go for the soft gels. I tried them all, but I love the soft gels because they're just great for if you're on the run and want a convenient grab and go choice. Timeline is offering 10% off your first order of Mitopure. So you have to go to timelinenutrition.com slash Will Cole and use code Will Cole to get 10% off your first order. That's T-I-M-E-L-I-N-E-N-U-T-R-I-T-I-O-N.com slash Will Cole. That's timelinenutrition.com slash Will Cole. I recommend trying their starter pack. You can get all the three formats and see which one's your favorite. Let's just say somebody is, they know they have some hormonal imbalances. They want to support hormonal balance with food. What mm -hmm. are some of your like top foods to support hormone balance and specifically with PMS symptoms? Yes. Cruciferous vegetables, friend. I have to say like, so our mutual friend, Terry Walls, she um, puts up, <laughs> who doesn't love Dr. Terry Walls? She is just like the goat. She put up a video of her just like munching on cabbage in the airport. <laughs> My son is all about, he was like, I think five when he saw that. Here we are like five years later. And he's still like, mom, we're going to get on a plane. Where's our cabbage? Like we have to eat our cabbage. That's and I'm funny. like, I love that. Like she has had that influence on my child. So why cruciferous vegetables? Well, they support these detox pathways and they're going to deliver dim. And DIM helps us get into the right estrogen. So when we talk about estrogen, we've got two, four, and 16 hydroxy estrung. And none of them are like the best. I think sometimes people want to say like two is the best. Two is the better of the bunch. And we actually need a balance of all of those. But four and 16 is when things can get problematic, where we get lumpy, bumpy breasts and we get heavy periods that are clotty because they're so heavy and we're not feeling good in our body. And we're at higher risk for cancer. And cruciferous vegetables can help with that. So broccoli, broccoli sprouts are going to give you sulforaphane. So that's going to be different than broccoli, but cabbage, arugula, Brussels sprouts, everything like your mom wanted you to eat. And every like, <laughs> like sitcom that includes a kid has like been like, don't eat that. Like it's gross. That is like broccoli is one of my early ones that I introduced to my kids. My almost two-year-old, it's still like his go-to vegetable. He's like, yes. His other one is bell peppers, which is going to be one of the highest sources of vitamin C that you can get. Now, we want to detox the estrogen. So we're eating our cruciferous vegetables. They're also going to provide us fiber. We want to get in that vitamin C because vitamin C supports the corpus luteum, which is a temporary endocrine structure made only by ovulation that produces progesterone. So getting in that vitamin C, and yes, you can add, like, I love, like, hey, first thing in the morning, 
drink a glass of water with some lemon juice in it. You're going to get some vitamin C, put a little salt in it. So you have some electrolytes and that water is going to support you. So you have a healthy bowel movement later on. And so that it's supporting your kidneys as well. By the way, if you want like the top beauty hack of all time, stay hydrated. Why does nobody talk about that? I feel like I always see people being like, use this product, use that product. And I get it. As, as somebody in their 40s, I get it. But I'm like, if you're not drinking water, those products yeah. don't work. So be hydrated. So those are definitely two of the groups. The other thing I would say is calcium. Calcium has been shown in the research really beneficial when it comes to PMS. And if you can couple that with magnesium-rich foods, even better. And this is usually where people go like, okay, so like dairy, but like dairy gives me acne. Yes. And like really common time to have acne when you're also PMSing. Like, Great. Dairy isn't actually like the best source of calcium. It's we've all been told and indoctrinated with it, but it's not the end all be all. Chinese cabbage is actually really high in calcium and bioavailable. Make a salad with that, throw some avocado in it. You're getting some magnesium, maybe some nuts and seeds. Bringing in those kinds of foods, they're also going to give you that fiber. And again, that is going to support your gut health. And remember, this is one of the ways we move estrogen out of the body and it supports the estrobilum which are the little critters that help with estrogen balance. And they're also involved, they, they like swap and share out in the vaginal canal as well. And they keep the vagina healthy. So mm -hmm. this is all like all around really good stuff. It's a funny, so I got your book and the pictures are beautiful. And I like love, you always have great recipes. I couldn't fit any recipes in my book. And so when people get the book, it's 126,000 words. It's so much stuff, but I actually made a digital cookbook that goes along with the book. So when you get into the book, there's a URL in there that tells you where to get this because I'm like, I can't tell people this stuff and not give them a meal plan and it. not give them recipes and not walk them through all this. And my editor was like, well, you can't fit it in the book. And I'm like, we're just going to write it separate. And we're just going to deliver a digital Bonus cookbook material. to go with it. It's yeah. super smart. I love a resource. It's very generous of you. All right. Are you talking about the different phases of the menstrual cycle? I no, maybe some people know this, but I am still surprised how many patients, women specifically that are menstruating still know the words. They know the words of the cycle. They heard luteal, they've heard follicular, but they don't know exactly when that is. And how do you tell, do you even need to know? Can you just, I know they can read the book. I'm sure there's a diagram for that too, but can you can, <laughs> <There> <laughs> is, yeah. like break it down quickly and then we'll move on to something else. Yeah, totally. And for anybody that's like, oh man, like I can't believe they still don't know this. I had to go to medical school until like totally understood that. And it was after multiple physiology classes. And when you consider that only 18 states in the United States has medically accurate sex education, this is not your fault. Okay. Nobody's blaming you for not knowing this. Right. So we always talk about the menstrual cycle starting with the period. The start of the menstrual cycle is really ovulation, but that's much harder to track. Period's really obvious. So We've got the period. The period is going to kick off the follicular phase. But we talk about the period separately because the uterus is doing one thing, but know that your ovaries are on the follicular agenda. So even while you're having a period, the ovaries are getting an egg ready. As you complete your period, you're going to move into the late follicular phase. This is when estrogen and testosterone really ramp up. When that egg is ready, estrogen sends a flare to the brain and says, hey, it's time. The brain says, great, here's some luteinizing hormone to tell those ovaries. Go ahead, release the egg. And that is the ov ovulation phase. We ovulate. Egg lives about 24 hours. But in that time, there's a corpus luteum formed. And that takes you into your luteal phase. At that point, 
that is when you have sufficient progesterone in your cycle. At no other time during your cycle do you have that yummy progesterone, and estrogen is there the entire time, as is testosterone. Was Got that it. quick enough? I feel I, like that is the quickest I've ever it. been. Cliff, <laughs> you did it amazing. Cliff Notes version, masterclass Cliff Notes version. Read the book for the full context. <laughs> I know we we kind of talked about this in the first episode. Go back and listen to that if you haven't. But just real, I know people's, I'm just thinking of what questions as people are listening to this are going to be asking. Okay, birth control. You wrote a mm-hmm. book a, book about it. Obviously, it's an individual decision. I'm not saying like right or wrong. But like if if you're saying someone that's trying to be more quote unquote natural, is there a better option that is your opinion and recommendation as far as contraception and birth control goes? You know, this is such a great question. I also want to say that I love how well you know your people. <laughs> you're like, they're going to ask this. I yeah, they want to, I mean, you're you're the hormone expert. They're like, why didn't you ask her, Dr. Cole? Yeah. 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 So the best birth control, if you're wanting to prevent pregnancy, is the one that you can stick with and has the least side effects. So whatever that is for you, like that's what it is for you. There are people who absolutely are like, I have been on the pill for X amount of time. Like my myself, I was on the pill for 10 years and came off. I came off because I was like, wait a minute. I can only get pregnant one day out of the month. And I personally was having side effects. And I was like, why am I staying on this thing? Like, and I decided to come off. And it was a great way to be like, to get to know my body. And I think there are also people out there who want to do that. And I think that we need to honor that as clinicians as well. There's a lot of times where doctors, they get really fearful this person's going to get pregnant. And they're like, you need to stay on the pill. Otherwise, you're going to get pregnant. And they're not really honoring and respecting what this person's saying, which is like they want the ability to work with their own natural hormones and to know their body in a different way. And that is a valid reason for wanting another choice. If you do not want to get pregnant, there is a copper IUD that has no hormones. If you have heavy periods, painful periods, endometriosis, adenomyosis, this is not for you. It is going to make all of that so much worse. But if you don't have those things, it has a very high efficacy rate. It it, it wins over um, the pill for sure because there is no user error involved. So there's the copper IUD, there's diaphragms, there's barrier methods. Like, can we talk about those more? I feel like so often I have patients and I'm like, my doctor recommended the pill. And I'm like, you're not in a monogamous relationship. So what are you using for barrier methods? And they're like, but I'm on the pill. And I'm like, oh, gonorrhea doesn't care. I hate to break it to you. But chlamydia is like, oh, what what you like? Yeah. So barrier methods have utility outside of pregnancy prevention as well. And I do cover all of the barrier method talks for like whatever you are doing in the bedroom in my book as well. And then there's fertility awareness method. And that's a method that, again, it doesn't work for everyone. And I will say, if you are using the pullout method with fertility awareness method, you, in fact, friend, are using the pullout method. And the pullout method, it's about one in five are going to get pregnant. So it's a 20% chance of becoming pregnant in a year's time of doing that. And so it's very different from fertility awareness method. Fertility awareness method is take your basal body temperature, understand your sexual desire. Because if your libido's up, you better believe estrogen and testosterone are up and an egg is coming. This is how it works. And then looking at fertile cervical mucus, and it's a great practice for getting to really know your body. If you're a night shift worker, if you are someone whom, you know, you're not great at taking your temperature first thing in the morning, or you're not going to abstain from vaginal intercourse during your fertile window, 
this method will fail. And so it's not going to be for you. And this is the kind of discussion that you should be able to have with your provider to talk about what are all the options and what's going to work best for you. And then knowing the risks that you're willing to take, because some people are like, I want to use fertility awareness method. And if I get pregnant, like I'm not mad about it. Like, it's okay. Like, it's not when I would plan it to be, but like, I'm not going to be upset by it. And that I think is perfectly acceptable if you want to use fertility awareness method. The big thing is we just need informed consent and we need to be making sure that we're supporting the patient and having all the information they need and then in their decision. And whatever that decision is, making sure that as health providers, we stay objective in tracking their data and making sure that this is in fact objectively the best method for them. Amen. In the book, you talk about the orgasm gap. Let's go there, Dr. (laughs) Jolene Brighton. What is the orgasm gap? Yes. So the orgasm gap exists in heterosexual relationships where men are orgasming about 95% of the time that they have intercourse and women are orgasming about 65% of the time. So there is a big gap between pleasure in these couples. And so why is this important? People are always like, why is this important? Because this should be a pleasurable experience. And when we take it from the male perspective, I write about this in the book. I do not believe that men want to be at the receiving end of all of these jokes about not being able to find the clitoris, about how they can't pleasure a woman, about all of those things. I very much believe that men who are cohabitating with a woman or have a female partner are very much interested in bringing her pleasure as well. But there's just been a lot of gatekeeping of information in our society. Yeah, well said. Another myth myth or truth, let's, let's debunk this, or is it validated by science? Is it true that women quote unquote, just have lower sex drives. So I hear that so many times with you know friends that are married and in relationships. Is it true or not true? False. <laughs> yeah. So what you know what is the most common analogy when it comes to sexual desire is a light switch of turning it on and turning it off. And there are people who have more of that spontaneous desire archetype where they do look like the movies, where it is just like, whoa, a switch is flipped, like lights on, go time, go. And then there are people that are more like a dimmer switch, that it's slow to rise. And they might not be the people who initiate sex as readily. They're not walking around and like, you know, they're not in the grocery and they see a magazine and are like, oh, I'm like, hmm, I'm still maybe around ovulation. <laughs> they might be, but they might not be inclined. And that is what society is like, oh, you have low desire, you have low libido, when in reality, it's just a different mode of operation. It's not better and it's not worse. And what's interesting is people act like, oh, it's problematic in a relationship if there's a mismatch. But when you ask people in these relationships, is it problematic? It's usually a no. When there are problems, it usually comes from a misunderstanding of what is called the dual control model. These two researchers, Bancroft and Jensen, came up with the dual control model, which they use an analogy of a gas pedal and a brake. And I think it's brilliant. And it is the understanding that there are things that are going to excite us and there are things that are going to inhibit us. And if we don't tend to and have in high regard that the things that inhibit us are just as important as the things that excite us, Mm. then we're going to struggle in a relationship. And it can sometimes look like, 
you know, she's just not into me. She always rejects me. She's holding out on me. Like these are kind of the narratives that come from the male perspective. And a lot like this is not usually like when I get into these conversations, it's not usually like their own perspective. It's what society has told them is what's going on. And then from her perspective, it's saying, no, I just like didn't even realize you were coming on to me right then. Or I was in fact so tired because of how the nervous system's been held up. We can definitely go in deeper into that, but just in terms of like answering that, like this low desire, Mm -hmm. no, it's not true that women just naturally have low desire. Yeah. Thank you for clearing that up. All my friends are taking notes right now. Um, (laughs) Next question. Some women I know, they notice maybe their sex drive changes during their menstrual cycle and they're maybe second guessing it. They haven't correlated it specifically. Is there any science behind that? Could that influence their desire? Oh, absolutely. So the 28-day program that I take people through, that takes you week by week in your cycle. It's okay if you don't have a cycle. You can still use everything in there. But it takes you week by week understanding your hormones, building your manual of what's normal for you. And then we've got the whole sexual aspect of yourself of like, what is changing in terms of your desire, what people call libido? What's changing in terms of your ability to become aroused? I I have a whole chapter talking about discharge and talking about cervical fluid and and arousal because this is important to understand that there are certain phases of your cycle where you are going to self-lubricate very easily and other phases where you will not. And anytime you are in the not camp, friction is going to be your enemy. Friction can shut down arousal. So knowing that going into that can help you prepare. So we talk about the arousal and we talk about orgasm as well. What we classify when we talk about the menstrual cycle as the ovulatory phase is the sexual peak of our cycle. In fact, I came across a research study that called it the sexual phase, and I got so excited because for people who are past having children, who have no interest in having children, like it's a way to talk about their body without just being like, oh, this is the baby making aspect and to actually see them. Yeah. And to actually see them as something more than just that. But as soon as I read like, oh, the sexual phase, I was like, they're talking about ovulation because I know what the hormones are doing then. So it's that estrogen and testosterone rise that we talked about. Mm -hmm. Estrogen is just as important as testosterone for getting us in the mood. This is when women fantasize more about sex. So they have sex on the brain more. They might find themselves just randomly driving like the carpool and a sexy thought pops in their mind. And they're like, you know, where did that come from? Society has taught us like, be ashamed of that. But I'm always like, just meet it with curiosity. Like, "Ah, that's interesting. What's that about? You're probably in that phase of your cycle. It is much easier to become aroused. The clitoris becomes much more engorged, much easier, and it's much more responsive. So having an orgasm, much easier. Having multiple orgasms, much easier. And if pleasure has been the pursuit with your partner with the intent of achieving orgasm, This is a great phase of your cycle to be experimenting with them, working with them, letting them know what your body's into, especially when you factor in that your breasts are much less sensitive during this time. Now, your nipples are more sensitive, but in terms of like breast tenderness, that's going to come later. And so to understand, this is always where men, I just always like giggle because when you know, you know, if you know, you know, when men are like, oh my God, she was like so into me. And then the next day she just like, 
she didn't even care. She just like wanted nothing to do with me. And I'm like, thank you, progesterone. She was ovulating. Corpus luteum comes online. Progesterone comes. And progesterone's like, friends, you had your chance to capture some sperm and make a baby. And I don't even care anymore. Because whether or whether or not you do want a baby, there is an agenda, the ovarian agenda. <laughs> it's like, this is what we're about. And so progesterone will come in. It's going to make estrogen and testosterone take a box seat and you're definitely going to be feeling like, you know, you know, it's not as easy to get in the mood or you're just not even thinking about it or your partner really does have to help you with those breaks, help you and 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 help you get in the mood and it might take more coaxing. Is it mean it's impossible or like this is a horrible phase? Not at all. It's just a different experience and a different approach altogether. And then understanding that when you get into like the days before your period, that can definitely be a situation where them helping reduce your stress, them, you know, making sure that they're they're doing things that really support you mm -hmm. can make all the difference because of where your hormones are at, you're going to be a bit more tender. Again, no extremes, no like, like screaming, yelling and no mm -hmm. screaming, crying or like any of that, but you are going to be in a place where it's like sweatpants look way better than getting into their pants kind of vibe. <laughs> if you know, you know. You and know. <laughs> a lot of people know that. A lot of people know this. Okay, so now I'm, I'm, people are going to want to know, okay, what are some foods that, in this area? Someone has a low libido, low sex drive. What are your top rev, rev it up as far as libido goes? Dark chocolate, friends. Does that ever <laughs> fail? And if anybody comes in the comments and says, I don't like dark chocolate, can you just give me any that you receive as a gift? Like you can just give it to me. So dark chocolate, you know, it can be really helpful. Magnesium and things that support blood vessels are going to be supportive of your sexual desire and your ability to be aroused. What's interesting is that medicine for a long time has well recognized that if we have insulin dysregulation, we can have erectile dysfunction, mm -hmm. but they have failed to like make the connection on a larger level. There's definitely people who've made this connection Then the clitoris is, and the penis are the same tissue. And mm -hmm. so the clitoris can also have this issue. And so this is where people kind of get surprised when I'm like, anything that helps optimize blood sugar is going to help you with your arousal and help you with tissue function. Going back to the things we talked about before, fiber, and things that support the microbiome, the, the gut and the vagina will share things. And if we can keep estrogen optimized, estrogen helps with the glycogen production in the vagina, which that's the sugar that feeds the lactobacilli. The lactobacilli are the organisms that keep the pH low and keep the yeast and bacterial vaginosis organisms in check. So all a very, very good thing. Now, some fun, like very specific libido ones. I actually say in the book, like there's this, like we're going to do a sex diet, but like not the fasting kind. We're not fasting from sex or, or dieting on sex. It's like ways to eat. And I give yeah. lists of foods, oysters. Why are they thought to be an aphrodisiac? Well, because of the zinc that's yeah. in them and that can help with testosterone levels. Mm -hmm. It is also something to be said that like you're usually going to a restaurant. It is an experience. You're being very mindful, like mm -hmm. never discount mindfulness people because that's literally how you have an orgasm. Other things that can be helpful, saffron is one that I was like, this is why it's so expensive. Yeah. <laughs> this is the reason. So it can be helpful. Um, not just like, not just for like arousal and desire, it can be helpful for PMS and for cramps. And if you're on SSRIs, which increase your serotonin, serotonin 
is basically like a, a stop sometimes when it comes to being able to achieve an orgasm. And know if you are on this medication, it may take you longer. You're not broken. You're There's no reason to go down the path of like, what's wrong with me? And like, why can't I? But saffron may be able to help with that. And then another interesting one is citrulline, which you can get from watermelon rinds. So instead of throwing those out, you can eat those. We actually just got watermelon and I was like munching on the rind. I was like, no, I can't do it. Pickled watermelon rinds is where it's at though. That is like a much more palatable way to eat those. But if you are someone who's going down to the white on the watermelon, you are doing a good thing for your sexual health. I love those tips. Wait, where do you get pickled watermelon rinds? I wanna... You just do it yourself. Actually, oh, okay. um, plant you. I don't know. I don't know, Carly, if this was your intention. I'm going to send you this episode. I don't know if this was your intention of why you were making that, but she has a whole series on scrappy her scrappy kitchen and like not having food waste and how to recycle. And I saw that. I, was, I had submitted my manuscript and then that popped up in my feed. And I was like, man, these algorithms are so good. Like, how did oh they know gosh, this? So but good. I saw that and I was like, oh, she's already made the recipe. Like, I the love recipe it. So who is need. this on social media? I don't know her. Plant you. Plant you on Instagram yes. or TikTok? Both. Yeah. Both. I think she's All got like a million followers on Instagram, like 2 million on TikTok because right. she does all kinds of cool stuff with like food scraps. That's amazing. Good stuff. All right. As you know, my friend, you did this last time, I believe. The, at the end of every episode, there's your art of being well. This is Dr. Julian Brighton's art of being well. I don't remember exactly what I asked you. I just kind of randomly ask questions. So we'll see if if I do end up asking you the same questions, see if it's your mind has <laughs> changed. Yeah. For, first question is, what is the worst tasting healthy food that you still eat because it's so good for you. I want to say liver, but then I also wonder, is it really the taste of liver or is it the thought of liver? But I would say it's liver. <laughs> is there, like, do you have any like pro tips to make liver more palatable? Is there such a thing? I, so I try to get like organ meats ground into a, a ground beef and yeah. so that it's like mixed in and making things like meatloaf or burgers or meatballs and things like that. I, I honestly, like I would much rather eat beef heart. I think it makes for like the most tender burgers and everything. And I've shared this before online, but like my son will eat any organ meat, like you name it. And that kid and lingua. Like he is the child that like my Mexican family wanted. Like Menudo, I was like, no, no. My kids like tripe sucking it down. I'm like, oh <laughs> man. And I, but I introduced him this young. Um, my parents did too. I don't know. I I'm a letdown uh, when it comes to organ meat. But that kid, Mexico, he goes to France. He's like, oh fall, yes please. And every time I just smile. Uh. <laughs> okay, what's your dream vacation? Anywhere in the world, doing anything, what's your dream vacation? My bucket list is to get to the Northern Lights. I would love to go up to Finland and stay in like glass igloo and igloo and like just see the Northern Lights and be in the snow and like, yes, that that is like my dream. Have I done it yet? I have not. I keep making the plans and it just keeps not working out. But that's, it's always cold weather for me. It's like my really? Favorite. Yes. That's interesting. Well, I mean, you live in warm places. That's probably why. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because I lived in Portland for 12 years and people were always like, don't you hate it? I'm like, I love it when it's gray. 
and cold. Okay, so even when you lived in the Pacific Northwest, you still wanted to go to cold. Yes. Yeah. It's so funny. But yeah, now we live in the tropics, but I will say that my my husband definitely got worn down by the gray. And then my kid who has pandas, like we came here and spent like three weeks here and his health improved immensely. And I was like, it's clear. It is clear. We need to be in the tropics, people. I love it. Now, I know many people are going to want to know what pandas is. Can you explain that real quickly? Yes. It's not a cute little fuzzy bear. Sadly Panda not. stands no. for, no, people, some things when I talk about it, they're like, so your son has a panda bear? I'm like, not that murderous thing. No, no, <laughs> he does not. Um, so pandas is pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorder associated with strep. Basically, it's an autoimmune condition of the brain that gets triggered by strep. There's also a version called pans. And I feel like pan, like this is what it really should be as pans because there's so many more things other than just strep. His was triggered by strep, but it mold can be part of it. Limes can be part of it. Basically anything that sets off the immune system to cause neuroinflammation. And it manifests with symptoms like OCD behavior, tics, loss of uh, verbal capabilities, loss of the ability to walk sometimes, mm-hmm. inability to control bodily functions, a lot of a lot of the executive function, children don't have much, but the lot that they have gained all goes away. Mm-hmm. Thank you for clarifying that. It's not talked enough about when I see it clinically, people always ask me, is this something you see? Yes, we do. But it's mm-hmm. not, it, out of the, all autoimmune issues, it's one of the ones that aren't talked about as, as much as I think it should be. And, you know, I even connecting it to long COVID and these neuroinflammatory yeah. components, not to say they're the same, but similar mechanisms of viruses triggering inflammatory problems. Mm-hmm. My son has had COVID twice and twice I have held my breath. And twice he has had no issues. And I'm like, how (laughs) did your mom had long haulers and you have pandas, but you had no issues with COVID? Like there's still so much to be discovered, but it is something that is not talked about enough. Roughly one in 200 children have it. They usually end up on psych meds, sometimes in psych wards, which is mismanagement. And it's not the treatment for this. You need to calm the inflammation. And it's really heartbreaking to hear stories of parents who struggled for years. For us, I was lucky enough that a friend of mine happens to be an expert who lectures internationally about this. So I was actually in Paris at the time and this came about and I was like, what is going on? And she had me do an ibuprofen test. And so I tried that. And sure enough, some of his issues started to resolve. Some of his functions started to get back. You know, as I say all this, I'm not telling anybody to go like, go use ibuprofen. Ibuprofen has issues. And especially like with the cardiovascular issues it can cause, you definitely only want to be under a pediatrician's care. If I wasn't a doctor, I would not just be like, let's try these things. And yet that's, you know, that was something that really showed us what was going on. And we were able to get help immediately within the week of him having symptoms. And I think had I not, also been a doctor who works with, I mean, you don't work in women's health and not work with autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have identified like these issues right away and known what to do. So it is something, it is much more common. And it is one of those conditions where doctors certainly gaslight, they make you feel like a horrible parent. And also there's lots of doctors out there saying, it's not real. It's not actually happening. It's not a real condition. And then if they, I hope they live long enough to eat those words. Yeah, same here. What What's a book that you've read in the past year? It could be fiction, nonfiction that just was like 
mind blowing or got you thinking mm. in a in a fresh new way? Oh gosh. So there's a book called Traction, which is actually a business book. And I went back through it in this last year. And why I bring it up is because it's just a really good way at looking at your company and your systems and your functions. And I did it from like a how like I had not even a one-year-old yet. How do we do my company? How do we set it up in the way so I can be the mom I want to be? Because I'm sure that you see how work can slowly take more and more from you. And then you're like, wait a minute, I'm working till eight in the morning. Then I'm doing bedtime routine. Then I'm like working until like bedtime. Then I'm like, I'm the worst boss. It's me. I'm the problem. And so that book actually helped me shift and really change my framework of my company and how we were doing things. And helping recruit more people and promote people to really analyze, like, am I the best person to do this? Do I have to do this? And so I, you know, there's been like so many books. I feel like when you're put on a, the spot like that, you're like, oh God, what book? But that is one that I'll say that I really integrated and made some major si system shifts so that, you know, we were talking and I was like, oh, I have like another hour. And then I just get to go be with my kids and just be, just be with my kids. And not a lot of people get to say that, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And I had to work my butt off to make sure that I could say that. I love that. Thank you so much for that recommendations. It sounds like I need to read it now. <laughs> <laughs> my friend, where do you, where do people go to get the book, to learn about more about your work? You can go anywhere that books are sold and you can find me on my main, hu main hub, which is drbrighton.com, D-R-B-R-I-G-H-T-E-N.com. So Brighton like the sun. And you can also follow me on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube at Dr. Jolene Brighton. We do weekly Ask Dr. Brightons on my Instagram, which is where the majority of the Ask Dr. Brighton questions in Is This Normal came from. That and my patients. <laughs> this is where this all came from. So really, it is the people who have been with me, who have supported me, and who have given me their feedback that helped design and form this book. I love it. Is this normal? Get it, everybody. My friend, as always, love talking with you. Thanks for coming on the pod. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again for listening to The Art of Being Well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit follow and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com podcast. I'll be back every Monday and Thursday, and I hope you will too. Talk soon. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.